Welcome to the High Action Podcast. I'm your host, John Story, along with the other members of the New West Guitar Group. We've got Perry Smith out in New York and Will Brom here in Los Angeles. On today's episode, we're going to dive into the Lowly Guitar Amplifier, an instrument, a part of our instrument, which uh, is important for us both as jazz musicians, as creative musicians, as electric guitarists, and super excited to dive into this with everybody today because it's an interesting topic and one that is ever-changing for us. Um, but before we go any further, I'd like to let everybody know that today's episode of High Action is made possible by Radial Engineering, creator of audio solutions for recording studios and live stages from direct boxes and unique switchers and reamp devices. Visit RadialENG.com for more information. So how you guys doing today, Perry? It's great to see you out in New York. How's it going? It's going well. It's a beautiful day. The weather's getting real nice out here. And I've got three of my favorite amplifiers lined up, ready to throw down on the podcast here. They're just so comfy cozy. You know, a guitar you can hold in your lap. I mean, sometimes I just love holding my Vibrolux in my lap and just, you know, <laughs> you know, enjoying... You know, playing the amplifier. Well, that's not true at all. No, I, mean, I don't. Remember amplifier when amps is not is not as comfy as a guitar. Remember when amps were always really heavy, like the Vibro King or the Vibro Lux? It wasn't until really a little more recently in the last few decades that we've had amps that you know are easier to pick up. You know, they're a little lighter. I think we're a little young to be even talking about that too, because you talk to guys who are twenty years our senior, and I yeah. mean. You couldn't, I mean, every amplifier was 50 pounds or more. That's right. Every single, didn't matter what you're, even your, you know, rack unit of whatever you were bringing to a gig in the 80s. But yeah, I mean, it's um, definitely portability as part of the equation here when we're talking about amps. And Will down in Long Beach certainly knows amplifiers, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. is dialing in some interesting sounds. I'm stoked for you to get to share with us your rig today, man. How you been doing? I've been good. I, I was thinking about Cheryl Bailey saying, she always practices with an amp because that's the sound that you have unless you're in a studio with a mic up to your acoustic guitar and that's such a good point i i yeah. in like during covid during these last two years i learned to really practice way more with an amp mm -hmm. as opposed to just you know hunkering down and getting that nice physical feeling of practicing so i'm excited yeah. to talk about amps yeah, it, it's certainly a big part of our instrument. I mean, and I've gone back and forth with that personally. I mean, you talk to guys like Pete Bernstein, who said he never practices with an amplifier. And I mean, Wes Montgomery didn't practice with an amp because he didn't want to bug his neighbors. That's why he used the thumb. I mean, it's just interesting how we all develop our sound. Um, and definitely the pandemic has got me thinking a lot about amps. I mean, in a way, you guys, I really missed using an amplifier and really getting it up to certain volumes in a room because... It made me realize how much the room with the amplifier, with the touch of how we play into the amplifier, is just, you know, it's my sound. That's that's it. You know, and I, I really got to miss that during the pandemic. So it's been fun to kind of get back into it. And like you guys, um, I actually I bought another amp, you know, fairly recently and I've been experimenting again with some amp sounds. Um, and, you know, just like when we're on the road talking about this for our listeners, I mean, it's fun how we kind of have these conversations on high action about this gear. You know, I think about Perry, what, you know, what was, <laughs> what was the first amplifier that you ever had? Can you think back to what it was? Yeah, you I, I have it right here. In fact, it was the little PV, uh -huh. PV classic 30, excuse me. I was playing it with my PV yeah. 
Predator guitar. I was I was sponsored by PV when I was twelve years old. Uh, yeah, PV Predator, I, huh? I, I wish. Um, no, man, but the man, yeah. the PV Classic Thirty, a tube amp, um, has turned out to really be a wonderful amp. I had no idea what I was doing back then, obviously, but that amp has kind of stood the test of time. And perhaps like the first question I think we ask ourselves as guitar players when it comes to amplifiers is, you know, to tube or not to tube, right? Oh, that man. is the question. Or to don't do ask a, that on Facebook. Or to have like <laughs> some sort of uh, IR modeler or something like that. You guys yeah. have so, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts on that, John? Does it depend on the guitar? Does it depend on your vibe that day? You know, what do you think? Yeah, in terms of solid state and tube. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am. I really believe that there's a need for both, and I think that unless you're playing really niche styles of music and that's all you're playing, or say you're somebody who like really wants to play like Stevie Ray Vaughan all of the time, then you're probably going to try to copy that guy's rig down to his guitars and his strings. And that sounds like more hobbyist type of stuff. I think when you're a working pro, there's definitely a need for both. I mean, examples of solid state, like whenever I do like a TV show or an award show and I need a very quiet amplifier that's going directly into some kind of recording thing, I definitely don't want to use a Fender vintage amp of any kind. I want to have a solid state amp or maybe not even use an amp and the advent of the impulse response pedals in the last 10 years has really changed the game for amplifiers. And now it's not only just solid state and tube, it's solid state, tube, and IR modeler for me, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you have some of those uh, dialed in, right, with your Strymon Iridium? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't I play a little bit here? Um, the Strymon Iridium, interestingly enough, uh, I feel like is, is one of these pedals that really interfaces similar to how I'll dial in an actual guitar amplifier. And I know TC Electronic just came out with a mini IR um, pedal, which is pretty cool. It's a digital one. It's the size of that 7-Up Mini. And that's a cool pedal to put on a, on a mini board. And I tell you, this Strymon saved me on a road gig last summer when I went out to Indiana and the venue just didn't have an amplifier. Mm. They were supposed to have a backline amp for me. And I, and I was so happy with my sound with this. Um, but I kind of have dialed in what I feel like is sort of a like a polytone sound with this, you know, kind of very dark with a lot of kind of um, power in the low end. playing my box like for those who are who are not watching us um right now which by the way if you want to check out the video be sure to sign up on patreon um but i'm using a fender DeQuisto here which is like a little 16 inch laminate arch top guitar like a 175 and um i like putting a mic on the guitar when i'm using the ir because then i get the actual sound of the guitar into the front of the house and if I'm recording over Zoom or doing lessons, I tell you that the Strymon, for me, I mean, I kind of have to give it my endorsement, man. I mean, they're they're just so great. And t dialing in the treble and bass and middle controls on that pedal feels very much like an amp for me. And that room knob where you feel like you're moving the amp behind you farther or closer, um, it's it's it took me a minute to get used to it, but now I'm I'm pretty satisfied with it. So that's what I've been using. I don't know, Perry, have you experimented with that yet? I haven't. No, and I mean other than using the Sans amp, which we used to use a lot in New West, um, not nearly as sophisticated of a pedal, 
but it, right. it gives you the option of uh, at least performing live without a pedal, I guess, recording too. But when you're playing live with the Strymon, are you just monitoring yourself through whatever speaker that the house has, essentially? Yeah, either in the front of me or behind me. Okay, you know, that it depends always... on how depends on how loud we're playing in the house. That was always the big X factor when it came to performing live with those things. Is you can't really wear headphones when you're performing live. I, I mean, I guess you could, but not really. So you're kind of at the mercy of the speaker, the house speaker, you know, the monitor. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that, you know, as PA gear has changed so much, you know, a lot of PA gear now, especially QSC and JBL style products, you know, are really kind of geared to be able to mimic guitar amplifiers because so many guitarists are playing direct now. And, you know, QSC, the Q in QSC is Quilter, and they're a guitar amp company. So it's yeah. for me, I've always been happy with the with the QSC. Um, but, yeah, it's been an interesting experiment with the IR modeler. And for sure, at the end of the day, if I'm playing a concert, I mean, I love having a Fender Deluxe or Vibrolux or Twin. Um, but if I had my choice between that and, say, something like other than that, which we can get a lot on the road, depending on where we are, or something that's underpowered, it doesn't quite have enough clean headroom for what I want to have, I'll definitely take this at the at the end of the day. And, you know, back to also the discussion, you know, to kind of steer this to you, Will. You know, I remember, Will, the first gig you and I played was a casual gig. I think it was over at Shutters, <laughs> in yeah. Santa Monica. Yeah. And you rolled in with you. You had a really cool polytone that I had never seen before. It was kind of like a polytone that was between a mini brute and a mega brute. Mm -hmm. And I had a polytone. I think I had, I was just about to get my first Henriksen amp. And I remember the discussion you and I had. You were, you and I were both like, "Well, you know, say what you will, but these amps just get—they get the sound. Like when you plug in, you get a dark tone. Doesn't matter what kind of guitar you're playing through. Do you still have your polytone? Do you ever use that much? Of course, I have it sitting right next to my Hendrickson Blue. Those are my two tiny amps, and I love them. Um, I would say I prefer if I'm playing with a drummer. I really prefer to use a tube amp, but my Hendrickson Bud Ten can keep up with a drummer just fine mm -hmm. for sure but yeah. i'm i'm kind of more on the tube amp i love the iridium i use that all the time at home um and i think new west should try a gig using all iridiums even if no one's at the gig mm -hmm. <laughs> we should just try it um but but i'm i'm sold on tube amps at this point for sure yeah. yeah and maybe part of that sound that you're describing too isn't just the actual amplifier it's the cabinet too because having an open back cabinet and having the sound kind of have that phasing where you're pushing more towards the front of the amp and you're actually kind of the the reverse of the sound is back hitting the wall i feel like that really competes with a cymbal because the frequency yeah. of a cymbal and a drum kit is so massive depending on how loud drummers are playing and if you're playing an amp that has a closed back cabinet and the sound is going one way I mean, the Bud has a little port on the bottom of it that uses the floor to kind of help resonate. But if you're playing on carpet, that doesn't work. It completely mutes that. Yeah. And if your sound is super, super directional, you're pretty much out in the room only going to get the high end. You're on, the only low end you're hearing is what is literally right next to the amplifier versus using an open back cabinet. You know, I know, Perry, when we met, you were using that Vibro King. Um, and I, you had the PV Classic 30. But you had the Vibro King, and I remember looking at that thing, and I was like, "Man, you know, do you need like a moving company to haul that thing to a gig?" <laughs> no, I wasn't. It's not yeah. that bad. It is heavy though, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, early on, I, I 
sort of fell into the thinking that like tube amps were always superior. I didn't really understand the um, advantage of a solid state amp. And I guess right. I would say for most kinds of playing, the tube amp probably is superior. Um, but mm -hmm. I found a lot of success in just getting a clean, even tone um, that's balanced throughout when it comes to playing jazz and playing my box and kind of wanting to establish and hone a sound in that realm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, the solid state's kind of the way to go in that scenario. I still like playing with a good tube amp with uh, my 175 and a box, but I don't know, man, especially the Hendrickson's. Um, we just had so much success with those tube amps. I mean, I'm sorry, those solid state amps that I don't think I'll ever really change my preference on solid state for my particular tone. Obviously, I like using tube amps for other things, uh, and I can demonstrate some of that today, but yeah, I don't know. The solid state when it comes to playing playing jazz, I think, is, is really on point. Yeah, I think that people who argue one or the other only are people who don't really work. You know, they're just obvious right. type of people. And and like it's it, this is total clickbait for social media, and it's always been. I mean, oh, the whole God. solid state versus tube. But, you know, solid state technology goes back to the 60s because, you know, the 1920s and 30s was where vacuum tubes were used in the first radios. And then World War II, every, you know, airplanes and radios were all had tubes in them, you know, which is crazy to think about. And then you forward into the 60s and, solid, you know, the space race invented a lot of solid state technology. And what's funny is consumers in, in America predominantly wanted solid state televisions and radios because they were tired of going to their appliance store with their TV set every few weeks and getting tubes replaced in the back of it. And then what happened was I think a lot of musicians were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, the tubes, you know, we, we like having tube amps. So that was where consumer products sort of broke off. Because, I mean, you go back to Leo Fender. He started building amps in the 40s. But you, Fender himself was interviewed in the, in the 80s. And he said, oh, you know, the first amps I developed, you know, I kind of thought that everyone in the family would plug all their instruments in a microphone into one amplifier. That's why the, a lot of the blackface technology yeah. has normal and vibrola. You know, he had an idea that you'd sing into it, you'd put a keyboard into it, you'd put a guitar into it, yeah. which, you know, I think all of us have done that when we've been in a pinch, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's funny, like the tube, that was where for us musicians, tube and solid state broke off. And fast forward 40 years later, of course, you got to give credit to Tommy Gamina at Polytone in the 70s. What he did, he was, he was a genius, you know, I mean, yeah. he invented a small portable amp and it was used by bass players like Ray Brown, and it was used by a lot of guitarists like Herb Ellis, Joe Pass, Jim Hall, and um, uh, Standell amps out here in Pasadena built solid states. That was what Wes Montgomery predominantly used on the road, too. Accordion um, players, so too, it, right? right? Yeah. Well, Tommy Gamino was an accordion player, and he you know, had an Ampeg amp and, again, hated the tubes breaking in it, so he came up with a solid state amplifier the point-to-point -point circuited type of thing and yeah there's photos of like the nam convention in the 1970s and there's herb ellis and joe pass playing through the polytones and ray brown all of them you know they developed amps of course probably the most famous polytone player in history who used it on a lot of his live shows and on a lot of recordings is george benson you know and benson developed several amplifiers with polytone 
Um, yeah. And and then you know later on went back to Fender in the past few years using some of those amps. So I'd love to hear some of these. I know Perry, you actually have right now dialed up a couple yeah. of these amplifiers today. I've got right? two solid states and one tube amp. And I will just say in in reference to this debate over tube or solid state or even IR modeler. I guess setting IR modeler aside. I'd say tube amp is probably more versatile. You're, you're probably more likely to get a great tone from a tube amp in just about any scenario, especially if it's a good mm-hmm. tube amp. I've never yeah. been able to get a good sound from a solid body in a solid state amp. I've never been able to do right. that. So, I mean, maybe, I maybe different styles, that? but like, go ahead, Will. Yeah. So, like with a Henriksen, you could just plug your acoustic in there, get a, get a decent electric sound get a decent acoustic sound. So it, it kind of evens each other out. But yeah. yes, you're right. Like like a Strat into a Henriksen is only going to sound so good, yeah. but it's going to sound better than a Martin into a deluxe reverb. Right. So yeah, the, the, I think it's like when you want that acoustic <laughs> type of sound, the solid state's going to make the difference. But um, yeah, you can well, still you know, get a great sound. Some science. You could still get a great sound from a jazz box and a tube amp. You know what I mean? So absolutely. Maybe oh, yeah, maybe sure. not like, yeah, maybe not an actual dreadnought acoustic or something. But you wouldn't even really want to put that through an amp to begin with, you know. And you know, there, there's an excellent video on YouTube with rest in peace Alexander Dumble, who we just lost a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He describes with Henry Kaiser, this you know the far out fusion guitar player. Henry asks him like, why are tube amps better? And he actually gives kind of a really great definition. He said, you know, there's certain harmonic frequencies which really thrive inside of a tube element. And it's a physical, actual sound wave that goes through the tube. With an actual circuit board, those frequencies are destroyed and then replicated on the other side. For acoustic instruments, because acoustic guitars are so complex with their frequency response, it does make sense that a lot of solid state stuff seems to sound better for steel string acoustic guitar or even maybe jazz guitar when you're trying to get that sound. But for like electric guitar, there is like this perfect marriage between yeah. the sound of the electric guitar and vacuum tubes. And I think that's where that actual evidence is supported that tube amps feel and sound right for an electric guitar almost in all situations, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you want you want to hear three different amps with three different guitars? Let's hear it. Yeah, give the listeners an idea of what or what they're about to hear. Or if you want to do a blindfold test, you could uh, t- surprise everybody too. Yeah. Okay. To let's do a blindfold test. I think you guys will probably figure out which one this is. But uh, let's what are talk the three amps it. again? I've got my Hendrickson, my Jazz Amp Ten, uh, my old school Duovox, the Tiny Titan, which is the big okay. old fifteen-incher speaker with the tweeters oh, that yeah. are loud as heck, um, and then I've got the my Fender Vibro King. With the three tens, ready to go okay. with my Gibson Victory. Here we go. All right, so here's three the first tens. Thank you. 
So that's my Hendrickson with my 175. And yeah, I mean, I got my headphones on, so I can't hear it as clearly, but I feel like it's a pretty balanced sound from the low end to the high end, and uh, it just has like a thick mid-range, which I kind of like, uh, thick and clear mid-range, which I kind of like for um, playing my 175. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> okay, now I've got my 335 over here, and I'm going to be going into my Duo Vox, which is kind of a funny amp. It's like a big, it's almost like a bass amp, you know, and yep. it's one of the three main amps that I have. Um, normally, I like playing it with my 175 the most, but I thought I would just try it today with the, with the 335, so here we go. some grant green vibe to it especially with the 335 right <laughs> yeah all right now here's the next one it's funny you'd say grant green vibe too because apparently grant live oftentimes would use an amp that had horns in it and that duo vox has horns in it too it's got i think are those do are those horns connected or were they disconnected out of that thing i have no fucking idea man those horns <laughs> i'll tell you though they hiss they hiss yeah. louder than oh i won't say it but they hiss pretty loud yeah <laughs> Those horns are great for when you want to go announce the baseball game or like what the blue light special is at Kmart. That's exactly what those horns exactly. are for. You know what though? That Duovox outside sounds incredible. It's my favorite oh. amp to play outside. I don't have any idea why, but yeah, it's just like it, it really slaps. All right, here's the next one. And Will, I'm gonna dedicate this this one to you. Okay. This one's special okay. for you because I'm playing my Thanks. strat knockoff. Okay. <laughs> Heaviest strat in the world. Victory into Barreling down that thing. The Vibro King. Yeah. Equals success. Can I give some Princeton? Yeah, let's hear some Fender Princeton. Now, the, and, and play first and then tell us about that Princeton because yours yeah. is kind of a special Princeton, actually. It's a little different. For sure. Mm-hmm. 
best part about Fender amps? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yep. You know, I mean, a Stratocaster into a Fender tube amp is kind of just a great, great sound. It's like a 57 Cadillac, you know? It's just, it's, can't, can't, can't uh, argue with something like that, you know? Yeah. John, you were asking about the, the Princeton. This, this yeah. Princeton... Uh, I think it's 12 watts, and it has uh, a 12-inch speaker in it. Yeah. Um, it it doesn't have the same body as a deluxe reverb, unfortunately, yeah. but it's a lot lighter, um, and it's got a, it's actually really good for arch tops because it has a more high-end chimey thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually like you guys should try your boxes through it. It sounds really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great for fenders too. And um, I've only ever owned Fender tube amps, um, and those are just my reference point for for tube amps in general, like the EQ shape of it. Um, and I don't really, I'm kind of too scared to venture out of it because then everything else changes. Not to mention investing in amps these days is kind of, you know, curious what you guys think. I don't know if it's the best investment just because you don't know when you're going to get to really crank it. But like something like the Iridium, you know, that's going to work in arguably more potential situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, day yeah. to day. Well, the Princeton is a fascinating amp. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. Sorry. Princeton's such a fascinating amp. It's It's got, uh, you know, a lot of history way back to the earliest Fender designs from the Fender Champ. And you know, I describe that sound as kind of jangly almost. Like mm-hmm. it's this, it's a bright sound, but a very clear sound. And I had a Princeton that was just like that. It was a 12-inch um, speaker Princeton, which the Princetons usually have a 10 inside mm-hmm. of them. And I thought it would give me more clean headroom, and it was actually the opposite. It, it broke up a lot easier. And I used to combine that amp with my Henriksen, and that got an interesting sound with a 10-inch Henriksen amp and a 12-inch Princeton, but my, I mean, my favorite amplifier, my desert island amplifier is my 67 Fender Vibrolux Reverb. To me, that amp is mm-hmm. so great. And it's got two speakers in it, like your Vibro King Perry. Yeah. So for those who are listening out there, like experimenting with amps that have different speaker configurations, just, I mean, it, like you said, Will, it, it, it's a game changer. The minute that you work into this world and kind of experiment where your sound is, for me, two speakers really gets the most responsiveness out of the instrument one speaker sometimes you just you just seem to lose a little bit of dynamic range like in the moment when i'm playing for instance like playing with an organ player or something i mean man i just i love having that that vibrolux is is kind of my my go-to but the princeton is fantastic too and i just recently picked up a vintage sound 35 sc which is a princeton cabinet but it's got 35 watts in it oh, and nice. It's a great amp. It definitely doesn't have as big of a sound as my Vibrolux does, and it's an interesting experiment because it just shows you how much the cabinet size really does matter for an amplifier. So the the wider the cabinet, the bigger the sound you're going to get. I'm I'm sure if it was the same amp with one 12-inch speaker but it was like a standard size Vibrolux, that amp would sound bigger. But because it's a smaller, tighter cabinet... I kind of like it for jazz because it has a tighter low end, a punchier mid range, and a really sweet high end. Also has nice that nice tremolo circuit, 
and everything. So vintage sound is cool. And a shout out to Rick. I, I really loved working with him. It took a while to get the amp. I think it was about an eight month wait right now because of everything. Um, but yeah, that and car amps. I've had a car rambler, which on the early New West recordings, that's what I was using on Big City. And I think I might have used it on Send One Your Love. Um, but then I, you know, found the Vibrolux and sort of found my my you know holy grail tone, as they say. Hey, story, uh, story. What do you yeah. think about stereo amping live and in studio? I mean, I don't really need to do it for what I'm doing. To me, the, the overall sound of the group is, it, it, to me, it's it's just it's a little much. And for me, I've I've been in those situations where I've used like two deluxe reverbs, and I thought, okay, this will this will help my sound. It ends up kind of creating weird phase stuff. I feel like I, I don't quite find my spot with it, at least with a box. You yeah. Know? Yeah. What do you? What? How about you, Will? <clears throat> Man. Um. So there's stereo amping, and there's also uh, what they call wet dry amping, mm -hmm. where you have like the reverb and delay and modulation in one amp, right. and just the dry signal in the other. That I prefer to stereo because it, you get a bigger sound, but it's not a muddier sound. Mm -hmm. It's actually like a clearer, bigger sound. Um, and, and if you get something uh, such as a humdinger, that's what it's called, mm -hmm. where you can flip the phase to, to make sure the amps line up. And the way to know if two amps are in phase is one of the settings will feel like all the bottom end is gone. And if you hear the bottom end come back, then you know they're in phase. So yeah. I am pro- uh, stereo. Um, I don't know about for New West though. <laughs> are you are you pro Six humdinger? Amps. Are you pro humdinger too? <laughs> Absolutely okay. pro humdinger from the gig rig. Are we still rig. talking about amps? I, I sort of thought we are. Maybe we, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Now, okay. Now, last thing here as we wrap up the episode, we just all have to go around. Does everybody have a really hilarious amp story? Because I sure have a good one that happened. Anybody have like a like on the yes. road? Okay, yes. Will, what's yours? So we got to Berlin playing at this venue called the Hat Bar. Uh -huh. And uh, we go to scope the venue out, and they have like a Roland Cube street, mm -hmm. like <laughs> like the the rectangular Roland I have that. that like I can have run that. on batteries or a nine that. volt. <laughs> I have that, and I go shit. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I I try to line check it. It's like beyond. It's unusable. Actually, I don't even think there was a power adapter. So I get on, you know, God bless Instagram. I get on Instagram. I ask some people. Uh, a local trombone player hooked me up with a, a great guitarist in Berlin named Igor Osipov. Uh -huh. Shout out to Igor. Nice cat. He let me borrow a ZT lunchbox. <laughs> so I took the train over, got a ZT lunchbox, showed up. I played like, what, three, four nights of trio with that ZT lunchbox, cranked all the way up, and it... And it worked with drums and bass and maybe a horn occasionally. I could feel it limiting at some points where it's like you can feel the, the edge of the amp. But that thing saved my ass in Berlin. That's great. So, ZT Lunchbox. Yes. Shout out to ZT. How about you, Perry? Any any good amp stories? Yeah, I've, I've got a lot. The one that I want to share, though, is it's not um, <laughs> it's not from my experience, but something I heard on recording recently. And it also uh, is another little way to pay tribute to the wonderful Joe DiOrio, RIP. But um, a fellow musician named Kathy Siegel Garcia sent me a recording of DiOrio playing with Charlie Hayden and Billy Higgins in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And I was like eager to check it out. So I'm listening down to this live recording. And uh, there's, you know, I'm hearing Joe. He's like cutting it up with those guys. And it sounds so great. And then 
you know how Joe was. He'd stretch out. He took this long solo, and they're all really stretching. And then during Charlie Hayden's bass solo, I just hear <laughs> in the background, I just hear. <laughs> <laughs> and undoubtedly, that's Joe just walking over to his amp, picking it up and moving it slightly and realizing yeah. that the reverb chamber is still on <laughs> and then putting it down. We've all had that experience. Yeah, but yeah, you got to be careful with those reverbs, man. And I could just see yeah. Joe doing that and just being a little aloof about it and just. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Sound that's, of ages. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah, um, you got one, John. I was playing. I was playing with Spencer Day in Prescott, Arizona, and this this fella showed up in a pickup truck that he had just come off like the ranch, and he pulled out this mud covered Fender Deluxe. He was wearing a cowboy hat, and he looked at me, and he says, best sound an amplifier you're ever going to play through. And I put this thing up there, and it sounded so great. And it all the knobs were, like, soldered to, like, one setting. So I couldn't change the knobs. Whoa. And so we start the show, and we're playing, and like I'm like, man, this amp sounds so good. And it literally was a deluxe reverb that had mud on it and had holes in the in the thing. So there's this part on Spencer's tunes where I'm kind of playing this like wacky kind of like like Roy Orbison chunky kind of guitar rhythm part, and it's at the end of the set, and we get to the last note, and Spencer's holding this note, and I just I hit the guitar really hard, and the amp absolutely blows up, like it, it <laughs> makes this boom and smoke, like legit smoke coming up. And the woman at the art center comes running out on stage with a fire <laughs> extinguisher. And she's like, well, do we need to put the fire out? Do oh I need to pull God. the fire alarm? And uh. I was like, no. It's just amp. And the, the reaction from the audience, man, we still talk about that. Like When we get to that part of the song, when we call that tune in sets, he's always looking at me like, are you going to blow the amplifier? And the, the guy was really nice. He's like, oh, yeah, sometimes that happens. But in between when that happens, this is the best sounding amplifier you're ever going to play. Oh, through. man. So, in between, yeah. In between, yeah. it's not smoking. So anyway, amps are our uh, foe and friend. We appreciate you guys joining us. Episode twenty three here. Um, shout out to Swilly fifty seven who joined us on Patreon this week. And for those of you who want to check the video of our weekly discussions, please join us over there. Uh, we're six weeks out right now from a little tour up to Oregon. We can't wait. We're going to do a an Oregon edition of the podcast for you guys. And um, in the meantime, reach out if you've got any questions. And don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at High Action Podcast. So. Thanks, you guys. It's time for me to go uh, make sure my tubes are all uh, set up here. Yeah, it is. Get them all set up with your little IR modeler. You got to dial them in. Oh, that's right. I don't even need to bring an amp anymore. You don't, no. And next week, we're going to be talking. uh, Will's going to be leading the episode about finding your sound. So um, I'll probably just be asleep during that episode, Will. You know, but you can. I'm used to it. Give me the cliff notes, okay? We can do the episode, or you can just send us the GPS to where my sound is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're on Google Maps. Do I turn left on Laurel Canyon (laughs) to find my sound? (laughs) Remember, Dior used to say, "I said, Joe, how did how would you find your sound?" And he goes, "Well." I used to watch a lot of uh, Cinemax late at night, you know, and that helped me out. Cinemax. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If only it was that easy.